Welcome. This talk was recorded at Insight LA in Long Beach. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit us at InsightLA.org. Okay. Okay. And uh, the topic is um, on the paramis. And the paramis are called the perfections. And um, the perfections were talked about as qualities of the mind that keep us on the path. And how we can focus our intention, our attention, how we can set an aim to um, bring in the qualities that lead us to awakening. And uh, when we do this, we're cultivating the mind and heart of the bodhisattva. We're, we're becoming awakened beings, and we're in the process of awakening. And we're moving towards this perfection, the perfection, these things that we need to arrive and to awaken. And um, the Dhamma, the process of awakening, is supported by reflective thinking, being aware and looking at what we're doing, our motives, kindness and compassion to oneself and others, calming the mind, and the transcendent understanding of the phenomena that make up and arouse our mental activities. Right? So we do that here all the time in our, in our community. We, we look at our intentions and our motivations. We ask ourselves, we look deeply. As a community in Long Beach, I love to say we take this deep dive together. We don't stay on the surface of our experience. We go in, we really work to go deep inside into the truth of the way things are, how we are, how life is, and who we are. And sitting with this group for four years, I really know this group is, is the real thing. There's real intention here. Um, and we cultivate the kindness of compassion towards ourselves and others, loving kindness, compassion, <coughs> practices, and we're using the meditation to calm and still the mind and move towards tr tranquility. And we're really, tr in, in looking transcendently to understand the phenomena of who we are, who we think we are. Who really we think we are, moment to moment, that arouse mental activity. So, so this is what we're talking about with the paramis, and I'll read them to you, what they are, the ten in the Theravadan tradition. Um, the first one is dana, generosity and service. Sila, which is ethics and harmlessness. Nikama is the third one, renunciation and release. Pana is wisdom, understanding. Virya is courage and energy. Kanti is patience and endurance. Metta, kindness and gentleness. Satcha, truth and honesty. Um, Adithana, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that correctly. Resolve and determination. 
upeka, balanced non-reactive equanimity. So I want to talk about generosity today as a pathway. The beautiful subject. The practice of dana. And my teacher read us a quote last week. Um, and I'll, I'll have to find it and put it in the newsletter. But it's about how when a group practices generosity, a spiritual group, a meditation group, a community of people trying to wake up and serve others, we're like um, bees feeding the beehive. You know, we're um, working together and supporting each other as a community. And the honey is the awakening within each of us. So your generosity in a community, in whatever community you live in, you're feeding and fueling, you're serving others. When we serve others with generosity and an open heart, we're creating the conditions for awakening in ourselves and others. It's a true act of generosity. So when you uh, come early to put the cushions down and you help clean up, just these little things, and um, you bring coffee to the set on Saturdays, and you drag things and put out chairs, um, when you're listening to someone in pain, when you're practicing deeply, when you're listening mindfully, you're all serving, you're all generous. There's Donna. It's generosity. And you're serving to uplift yourself and everyone around you. The vibration grows. Right? So it's a beautiful practice, generosity, and we'll explore that a little bit more. And I had a very synchronistic moment with generosity on my retreat. So I thought I'd share it. It's kind of soapy, but it, it, it really <laughs> is a sweet story of generosity and how this works. Um, so on my retreat, we meet five times a year, and um, we have a scholarship fund for people who need help supporting the work. So what we do is we all bring in things from around the house, little trinkets of such and books and things like that. We put it on a table and we bid a few dollars on the trinket, on the book, on the object. And, um, you know, we bid a dollar or two or three or four, you know, not a big amount of money. But whatever money we then collect, we put in the scholarship fund for someone who's having trouble paying for the retreat. And we do that every time. And, it's a, and at the end of the retreat, we bid a little more. And then you take home your, your, your little goodie. And I noticed, for me, that sometimes at the end of these retreats, I'm a little tired and unfocused and just, I'm going to transition. I'm a little wonky there. And um, I'll start bidding <laughs> for something. Like this greed will come up. And uh, I, I, something's on the table that catches my eye. And I really want it, but I don't know why. You ever have that moment with your credit card where you really <laughs> have to have it and you don't know why? And then you get it, you take it home, and it gives you how many minutes of joy? Right, and it's over. We call that a flood, the flood of the mind, desire. That thing you had to have that made you so happy and it didn't last so long? 
I don't know what yours is. I could, you know, you don't have to tell me what yours is, but you all know what that is, right? I had to have it. I had to get it. And then it was a, a little bit of joy and it's over. This desire that we get caught in like a flood, it takes us off balance. So I've experienced that at these little auctions at the end. And a couple of times I've bid against my friends on a book or a necklace, like, Somebody say, I really want that book of poetry. And I'm like, no, I want it. <laughs> I'll put another dollar in. And like, I have to have it, you know. And then I bring the book of poetry home and it doesn't really speak to me. <laughs> so it's gone like that. So I've noticed that, right? And the last time I did that was with a um, red necklace, a red bead, beaded necklace. And a couple of people went up to me and said, do you really want that necklace? Yes, yes, I really want it. I, mean, I really want the red necklace. And this friend and I got into a bidding war on this necklace by a dollar or two, you know. And then she came up to me and she looked at me and she said, you know, I really want it. I think I could wear this. I don't wear jewelry. And I think I, and I looked at, no, I really need the red necklace. I really want it. I want it. Have, I want it. I could feel that in me. And of course I won the necklace and I took the necklace home. And then I wore it a couple of times, and I realized that this necklace represented greed. I didn't need the necklace. Um, I have plenty of necklaces. I, why do I need a red necklace? You know. And I thought about how I took away something from her. You know, not with any uh, malice, but my greed kind of. I took it. And so I thought, well, I have to um, remedy this with her. And I brought the necklace to the next retreat and said to her, I really know this necklace is yours and it belongs around your neck. I think it's going to look really beautiful on you. And then she argued with me. No, you don't have to do that. You know how we can't receive a gift, right? <laughs> no, no. And we went back and forth and I said, no, this is called Donna. It's a practice. It's a practice. We have to honor. This is a deep practice. Please receive this gift with the open heart that I'm giving to you. And someone who gives a lot to everybody, you know, not used to getting a lot herself, right? So she's a giver. She's not a receiver. She got it. She put it around. She wore it for the weekend and mm -hmm. saw her touching it. You know. It's very sweet. The end of the weekend, we're back at the bidding and I vowed not to go near the table, <laughs> right? I'm, I'm relinquishing my bidding. And I'm about to go, and somebody walks up to me in the group and hands me a necklace, a golden Buddha on a chain. It's a true story. I'm not even making this up. And she said, I'm giving this to you. I'm gifting you this necklace because I see how much your practice means to you, and I want you to know how much that touches me. Donna. Donna, it's really what makes our world go around. When you think of all the struggle and strife in our world, it's the people who are generous that keep it going. You know? It's the people that can serve with an open heart that make the impact when things are tough. Right? 
So when we practice these paramis, they become a form of protection, like a temple, a sanctuary, in which one can stand. And the practice that we're practicing has these values that I'm practicing for my welfare. I'm practicing for the welfare of others. And I'm practicing for the path that leads to Nibbana, peace. Peace, awakening. And before we can fully imbibe these teachings like the Four Noble Truths, the End of Suffering, um, ethics and generosity and renunciation need to come first. They're the foundation of the temple that we're building, the sanctuary, the refuge that we're building. So when we think about a parami like generosity or ethics or virtue, um, we're saying, whatever I do, whatever views I hold or intentions I have, may my action generate blessings for others and myself. Whatever action, may it generate blessings for others or myself. And when we can hold that, we're creating sanctuary for ourselves and others. We're creating safety for ourselves and others. We take that vow to provide safety. We can't do it all the time. You know, we're fallible, um, right? I, I've made a plenty of um, big mistakes, you know, and I have created harm, and so have you, I'm sure. None of us are perfect. But we're setting this motion and this intention. So, let's see what else. And so by, by contemplating a parami, because it's a contemplation, what we're doing is we're reminding ourselves to return to that inner temple, that inner sanctuary, and visit it often. It's a little reminder. Um, and it's a reminder toward what harmlessness really means. And if our culture, if I had one prayer, it would be that humankind could learn what harmlessness really means. All right, that would be my one prayer, right? So. The other thing about the parami, and particularly of generosity, um, is uh, we're pulling our attention out of distraction and trance. One of the floods that floods the mind and makes us cloudy, we just, we talked about the desire, right? This desire, I have to have it. The last 10 minutes, eh, not so, so much of a desire anymore. Another one is um, this um, inundation of thoughts of me that we carry around. We've talked a lot about it here. You know, um, I'm projecting myself into the future and planning who I'm going to be in the future and what I need. I'm planting fearful stories and unfearful stories. And then I'm telling a story about what I deserve and what I didn't get, but what she got and I didn't get it, and he has, right? And then I'm planting stories about how unworthy I am, or I'm planting a story about me in the past. I'm reliving my past events and telling a story about that. It's like the Buddha talked about as a flood. 
we're flooded and our attention is out of the present moment, out of our body. We're flooded by this and we're not here. We're not here receptive. So um, this is a way to get out of the story and out of the trance. The other place attention goes in our culture is um, we're so media addicted, right? And we just sit back and we're in this trance-like state. I really love some of my very bad TV. <laughs> you know, I do. I, I have my guilty pleasures and so do you. And the media, the uh, one friend was saying... Um, here that she had to do a uh, Facebook cleanse, a media cleanse, because between Instagram, Facebook, and all the other forums, she lost her life for a couple of weeks. Like it went, like, where am I? You know. So we're undoing the stress in our mind, and we're uplifting ourselves, right? So let's talk a little bit about the ways, a little bit more about generosity. And then we'll, um, so, so generosity leads us to a right view, as we would say in um, the Buddhist psychology, because it's already taking us out of suffering, out of um, behaviors that would harm others, and it's taking us out of stress. And one of the ways we can practice generosity is with gratitude for others that have been generous for us and to reflect on that. You know, you drove your car and there were people who paved those roads. You went to the coffee house and there were people picking the coffee beans and boxing them and processing them and shipping them. And there was energy spent on it, so you could have this beautiful cup of coffee. And even that paper cup came from a beautiful tree. We take for granted so much that everything that is supporting us all the time. The people before us, the teachers before us, the people who love and adore us, who want well for us, your teachers from kindergarten up. And we cultivate and reflect on um, the gratitude for the generosity that we take for granted. I've been um, driving a lot, as so have you. If you live in L.A., chances are you're driving a lot. And one of my driving meditations is to look around the neighborhood that I'm driving in. And in our country, there's relative peace. In most neighborhoods, on most given days, there are traffic lights, people are observing them, People are walking, there are stores, there's freedom here. You could do whatever you want, and you know, relatively speaking, there's a calm day to day. So I look at the calm out my windshield. I'm noticing the gratitude of a society that from day to day, there's a lot of calm. So even though we are in a troubled time, I'm not going to diminish that. So uh, there's the dana of expressing gratitude to those around you for what they give you. And that's a practice that I've been trying to do. And I encourage you, and I think a lot of you do that, when I see someone that really shines or has some beauty or depth that's impacted my heart, I'm really trying to stop and tell them thank you. 
I'm really trying to acknowledge those little gifts every moment with people. People appreciate it. They need it. And on the retreat, I remember just walking up to someone and I was really noticing her kindness all the time. You know, she greets somebody new. If somebody isn't well, she sees it. She offers a seat first. She invites somebody in the conversation. I mean, her external mindfulness is just exquisite. I see her doing this so lovingly. And I remembered my Donna practice, my generosity, and I made sure to walk up and say, I'm just so touched by the, your mindfulness of others. Your capacity to give in just small moments. All weekend I watch you. It's so sweet to watch you. People don't even know sometimes. We're helping them see their path when we're expressing this kind of gratitude. You know? So give yourself that challenge of noting when you see something that touches your heart to thank someone. Yesterday we had our Montecito sit. And um, it's really beautiful to see everybody practice in silence for an hour on a Saturday morning. That just blows my heart right open. And then on top of that, the sharing is so deep. So much gratitude to the depth that our Sangha goes. So um, another form of giving is in our society, our giving is based on capitalism, right? Money is a source. We're earning money, we're making money, so we can build a bigger house and a bigger fence and be separate. Money is power and separation in a capitalistic culture. And it's also freedom, and it's also freedom from material suffering. It's got its benefits. <laughs> um, but in the Buddhist tradition, Giving is connecting with others. It's not building a wall, it's taking it down. So Donna is an expression of, I'm with you in compassion and I see you. When I make an offering, I'm not just giving you something, I'm connecting with you from my heart. I'm taking my wall down and I'm joining you in the heart. I'm offering my generosity as a way to open the separation between us and make us one. And in indigenous cultures, the giving is often expressed as um, debtedness, but not like you owe me something. No, now we're brothers, right? I gave you my, uh, my goat. <laughs> I'm making this up. But a lot of indigenous cultures, they, we give to connect, or they give to connect, right? You become a village through your giving. Um, so somebody goes out on a hunt, let's just say, and the whole village has that, parts of that animal. Not a good place to talk about this with a bunch of, you know, you know. <laughs> but that's right. Or um, you, you give away a couple of chickens or you give away a goat or you give coconuts, you know, it's a giving and receiving culture. And the giving makes you family and one. You're in it together. We're feeding each other together. We're giving what we have. We give it freely. And when you give freely, with an open heart, you notice that there isn't as much a wall between you and another person. That wall drops. So 
So the giving that we do here, the dana and the generosity that we practice is about breaking down a wall and opening our hearts with compassion to other beings who are suffering. We're practicing that as a practice, no matter how small. You know, I'm looking at Mark because he makes sure to bring things to the homeless people. Every little bit counts, right? Every action towards opening, towards suffering. Can you imagine if we really lived that, how different the world would be? Holy cow, it would be a great world. So let's do some contemplations together on this. So closing your eyes for a moment, finding a comfortable posture. So take a moment to think about a time where someone gave to you, someone practiced generosity to you. Maybe they gave you an object, maybe they gave you time, attention, deep listening, a warm hug, a few moments to talk out something, an opportunity, a great teaching, and just allow yourself in your mind's eye to see this person, to feel the experience of being given to, the space between the two of you, how that felt in your body, what your mind and heart felt like, whether this was easy for you, difficult for you, was it sweet? And what did you learn? now I'd like you to shift gears a little bit and contemplate. Let's move to another contemplation here of a time where you gave someone a gift. Again, it could be an object. It could be support or help. Your attention. Your Donna, your generosity. Maybe it was financial help. Maybe it was just a drive somewhere. Thinking of a time where you offered your dana, your generosity, to another person or a group. And visualizing yourself in this situation. and contemplating what it felt like. What did it feel like in your body, in your mind, 
in your heart. What was the field between you and this person or other people? What did you learn? Did it feel wholesome or unwholesome? How was it received? How was your energy and your sense of life at that moment? And now I'd like you to move to one more scenario. I'd like you to contemplate the last time you gifted yourself. Not a gift from a credit card. A gift of practice, of silence, of a pause, stillness, a time where you brought yourself away from doing and excitement and giving and people, but to a place where you could refuel and experience some ease, some calm, where you could fuel up and recharge and show kindness to yourself. What did that look like? Where did you go? What did you do? And how did that impact you? This is also a form of generosity and dana. A moment where you could contemplate the real truth for you. Sense and feel inside and know what's right for you and allow yourself to have it. Maybe you said no to an event. Maybe you got a time out. Maybe you took yourself to a meditation sit or someplace in nature. Maybe you just acknowledged you needed to slow down. How did that feel? What did you learn? And the last contemplation Is there any place in your life that you would like to express your dana, your generosity? It could be a group, a person, a family member, yourself, a cause, the environment, whatever. Is there any place that your heart your gut, your belly, your head, that your body, is there any place that's wanting your generosity? 
And take a couple of moments to just search, feel, and sense this question deeply. Is there a place where I need or I would like to be more generous as a practice? Do I need to open my heart to someone? Do I need to give someone some time? Is there something that needs me? It might be a cause or environment or something with a group suffering, maybe not. Is it time for generosity to this being sitting here who's so tired and overworked, overwhelmed? Where is my dana? Where's the dana going now? Where's the flow? When you're ready, you could slowly open your eyes. A sidebar note, for those of us who are perpetual givers, we need practicing dana and generosity towards ourselves. That's important. Um, so I'd like to break up into small groups just for a few moments. We don't have a lot of time to uh, maybe share with your fellow meditators today what came up for you. Sometimes it helps to hear yourself say it as part of your process, to hear your voice. So I'd like to have you spend some time just hearing yourself and others. Uh, of course, your dana is deep listening. Your generosity is opening your heart to your fellow meditator, your fellow student. Yeah. You have just listened to a recording from Insight LA in Long Beach. For more information, please visit us at insightla.org.